Hey everybody, would you turn in Bibles to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. We are beginning our series tonight on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, who's excited about that? (laughs) Me too, me too. Excited to dive into this. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would just minister to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would bring clarity, that you'd bring understanding and God, I pray tonight that you would do a work in our hearts, and, and as we uh, break up after the study into our circle groups, I pray that you would just allow there to be sweet fellowship and encouraging of one another, and we just thank you, Lord, that we can gather like this tonight in your name, amen. Well, you know, when the subject of the Holy Spirit comes up, a lot of Christians today are confused about the Holy Spirit. It was A.W. Tozer who said this, the idea of the Holy Spirit to the average church member is so vague as to be non-existent. A lot of people are, are just, you know, confused. They don't know what to think about the Holy Spirit. Some are even afraid of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can see it on their face when you mention the Holy Spirit. They kind of start to tense up. You know, they start to kind of get a, a little bit tense and, and, and they start thinking like, oh, it's one of those kind of churches, you know, when you uh, bring up the Holy Spirit or they're just scared about, you know, what might happen if you open the door to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, I came out of a church that, you know, believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Many of you have heard me share my testimony how I was called out of a, a room of about 800 people through a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. That's how God called me into the ministry. So I, I was used to, um, you know, the, that kind of moving of the Holy Spirit. But I got to tell you, when I went to college, my freshman year of college, I was on a baseball scholarship at Vanguard University. Back then it was called SCC. And it was a Assembly of God school. And I remember going to the very first chapel and worship was happening. And then all of a sudden, like the whole room starts speaking in tongues and yelling and shouting. And my eyes got like this big. And I was sitting next to this guy on the basketball team. And he looked at me. He could tell I was a little bit, you know, unnerved by, by that. And he goes, is, is this kind of shocking to you? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of wild. He goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and they definitely got a little bit more wild. Uh, as things went on. But, you know, theologically speaking, there are two different extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. On the one end, you have those who are known as cessationists, and that comes from the word to cease or to end. And a cessationist believes that there is a cessation or an end to the powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. So everything that we have been seeing in our study in the book of Acts, cessationists believe that that came to an end, that that stuff doesn't happen anymore, that 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 was for a regulated time in church history, and it was during a time where they needed that kind of movement of the Holy Spirit because they didn't have the Bible. But now that we have the Bible, the whole canon of Scripture, we don't need that anymore because 
since we have the Bible. So that's what a cessationist believes. But the problem with the cessationist is the Bible. You see, because the, the Bible is filled with teachings and instructions and examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning the working of the Holy Spirit. For example, in the Old Testament, it mentions the Holy Spirit 90 different times with several different designations. And then you get into the New Testament and the Holy Spirit is mentioned or referred to 260 times with even more designations. And it's interesting, we're actually going to get to this in, in a few weeks. You come to the church of Corinth who definitely was flowing. Paul said they were flowing in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they were out, they were out of whack. They weren't using and operating them in the right way. And so Paul writes to them and he doesn't write to them and say, hey, quit doing that. We don't do that anymore. Anymore. No, he instructs them on how to do it the right way, how the, the gifts are to flow and function in the church. So you can't neglect the Holy Spirit since Scripture is full of the Holy Spirit. We see it from the very beginning. Right in the book, the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we read of the Holy Spirit who was hovering over the waters at creation. And then we see it later at the end of the book in the book of Revelation in chapter 22 where we read, and the spirit and the bride say come. And everything in between, there are hundreds and hundreds of instances of the speaking of the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, you have the cessationist who believes that everything has ceased and the gifts aren't for today. But then on the other extreme, you have the what I would call the sensationalist and they're all about the Holy Spirit. I mean, you mention the Holy Spirit and they get excited. I mean, they're like, finally a church that gets it. You know, that's the way that they think. And they're, they're, they're like, you know, they say things like, man, give me some Holy Ghost. You know, that's what I, I want, you know. And, and uh, they can be fun to be around because they are open. You know, they're open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they're all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're all about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they even say it kind of in a weird way, you know, the anointing, you know, and, you know, that, that, that type of thing. And it's just, you know, that's where they're at. They're just, everything is about the Holy Spirit. And the problem for this group is that if there is no quote-unquote phenomenon happening in the church, to them the Holy Spirit just isn't working at all. There has to be a certain kind of energy and a certain kind of pep that the church works itself into. And oftentimes in that type of setting, there's a lot of noise, a lot of pep. And, and, it, and they think if there isn't that, then the Holy Spirit isn't working at all. I love what Pastor Chuck used to say about this. He gave the analogy of the coal used to get the train going. And he says, you know, the coal isn't meant to blow the whistle. It's meant to move the train. And he says the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't meant to blow the whistle. He's meant to move the train. And I love that thought. You know, sometimes those with the, the, in that sensationalist group or camp, there's a lot of whistle blowing, but the train isn't going anywhere. There's a lot of hype, but there isn't any permanent transformation. And what we desperately need is a balance. You know, here at Calvary Vista, 
This happens sometimes at, at our church is that, you know, I've had people come to me and they'll say, you know, um, man, Pastor Rob, Calvary Vista is just way too charismatic for me. I just, you know, I just, I just can't, I just can't handle it. You know, you guys need the response times that you do and those magnifying nights. It's like, I just, I just don't know if I can go in anymore. And then on the other extreme, there's somebody comes to go, Calvary Vista, it's just dead. You know, I just don't, you know, and it's like you have these two camps, you know, that are just in these two different places. Listen, we, we like to follow what God said in his word, what Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll, we'll talk about this in some detail one night when we start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Paul said, let all things be done. And that's what we're about. Let, let all things be done. But then he said, but let them be done decently and in order. And one of the things that I really, really hope, and I hope you come, that we're going to do, this is going to be a nine-week series. I hope you come for every, every week. Because one of the things I hope that you will see as we work our way through this study is that the Holy Spirit is working every time we get together. He's working. Sometimes it is in very, very evident ways that we see. And sometimes it is in behind the scene type of way. Sometimes it's here in what's happening in the sanctuary where it's evident and you can see how God's moving and touching. And sometimes it's just in a conversation that might take place in a hall or out in the courtyard. And so one of the things that I really want us to see as we start talking about the gifts in a few weeks from now, and we see how these things operate in a lot of different ways in the church setting. So over the course of of this nine-week series, we are going to be talking about who the Holy Spirit, uh, or about the Holy Spirit generally, what he does generally, what he does specifically, and how we are to respond to him. We're going to talk about the role that he plays in the world and the role that he seeks to play in the church, how, the, how he gives gifts to followers of Jesus Christ, and how those gifts are meant to function in the church and even at times outside of the church. But here's the question, where do we start? I mean, I thought about this. We could start in Genesis where, like I said, it talks about the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in the first uh, chapter there of the Bible. We could talk about, uh, we go to the first book of the New Testament, where we read there in uh, Matthew chapter 1 that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. But where the Lord told me, or kind of put in my heart to start, is here in John chapter 14. And I want to give you the scene before we jump into this. The scene is the last night of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross, He's meeting in the upper room with his disciple. This is his last words. And I find it very, very interesting that, that on his last words before he's going to go to the cross, he gives a pretty detailed teaching here that, that spans over three different chapters. And the central focus of this teaching is on the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to begin in verse 15 of chapter 14. Follow along as I read. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Don't you love that he said that? 
I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. Skip down to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Skip to John chapter 15. Look at verse 26. This is the same teaching, same night. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Skip over to chapter 16. Look at verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they did not do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now however when the the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you here's what I want to do tonight I want to make three statements that we see in the verses that we just read and then I want to combine these three statements into one big idea that we'll break down tonight. So we we see from what we just read that the Holy Spirit is a person, that's statement number one. The Holy Spirit is divine, that's statement number two. And the Holy Spirit helps, that's statement number three. And so here's our big idea for the night. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. And how many of you think, man, I need some help. I need some help in my Christian walk. Yeah, me too. I need some help in my walk with Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is a divine person who comes to help us. So let's, let's take this apart. Let's, let's look at this in some detail. And first of all, let's consider the Holy Spirit as a person. And when we say the Holy Spirit is a person, that means that he has a personality. And I want you to notice that, that in the words of Jesus, that he doesn't say this, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will do these things. No, he says he. He refers to him as he and him, not an it. And that's because the Holy Spirit is a person. You know, oftentimes within the Christian church, the Holy Spirit can get communicated as an impersonal force. Kind of like Star Wars, you know. Luke, you know, let the force be with you. Know, that, that kind of idea. Like, like the Holy Spirit, I know it's a horrible Darth Vader impersonation. <laughs> I need my son. He's really good at doing that kind of thing. 
But a lot of people think of that. They think of the Holy Spirit as like an impersonal force or he's like electricity. And, you know, people talk about things like getting the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost goosebumps. Or they talk about getting a Holy Ghost charge up, like getting our, our batteries charged up before we go out witnessing. In some circles within the church, the Holy Spirit has been seen as this impersonal force that kind of can get thrown around like a Frisbee. You know, you'll see in some, you know, uh, church settings where the pastor's like doing this and it's like he's throwing the Holy Spirit on you and people start falling over. I know uh, one guy, he used to like take his coat and he would wave it like a bullfighter, you know, with a bull. And, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit's getting thrust out and people are falling falling over and this is kind of my warped sense of um, humor sometimes when those kind of programs are on tv I like to watch them with the sound off (laughs) it's just kind of crazy you know like 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 wow that's so I just wonder what people think you know that aren't Christians and they they see that but here's the thing we would never ever Never ever think about throwing God the Father at anybody, right? Here, have some God the Father or, you know, have some God. We would think of doing that. But why do we think of that in terms of the Holy Spirit? Because so often the church thinks of him as not as a person, but as a force. We need to understand the Holy Spirit is a person. And I want you to notice the personal actions ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the passages that we just read by Jesus. For instance, in John 14, 26, he tells us the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. An impersonal force can't teach you. Electricity can't teach you. You can sit in front of the light socket all day long and... (laughs) It's not going to teach you anything, you know. Nothing's going to come out to, to teach you. Jesus ascribed the, the, these actions to the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 26, he'll testify of me. He said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will tell you of things to come. These are all personal actions. These are things that, that people do. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we're told that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He makes intercession for us. And yeah, hallelujah to that, man. I need all the prayer I can get. And to know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us is amazing. Several places in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter chapter 13, we see the Holy Spirit being, he speaks. These are all personal attributes. Now, again, we see these personal actions that's what I mean, personal actions ascribed to the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also, and the, the scripture also ascribes personal attributes. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're told that the Holy Spirit has an intellect. He has a mind. He thinks. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That's kind of a heavy thing, huh? That, that what we do can actually grieve him. In the, books of, 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 in, the, in the book of Hebrews, 
He can be insulted in Hebrews chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to, we're told, of an instance there. In, in Acts chapter 7, we, it's noted there, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. So what we see is that the Holy Spirit, he has a mind, but he also has emotions. He feels. He has an intellect. He has an ability to communicate. And so when I consider it in that way, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous to pretend that we can throw him around like a Frisbee. I mean, that'd be, that would be like, like me saying, come here, come here, Jamie, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you at the audience. I mean, I couldn't do that. If even if I tried. So it's ludicrous to think in that type of way. It was R.A. Torrey who wrote one of the best books on the Holy Spirit who said this. The Holy Spirit is not a blind, impersonal influence or power that comes on our lives to emulate, sanctify, and empower them. No, he is immeasurably more than that. He is a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts. And so this is the cool thing. Because he is a person, and because he has a personality, that means we can have a personal relationship with him. And that's what is so beautiful. You can't have a personal relationship with a force. You can't have a personal relationship with electricity. No matter how many times you have been shocked by it. Just ask Brandon. He used to be an electrician. Listen, the, th- the, the thing that we should be pursuing is not how to get more of the Holy Spirit's power into our lives, but instead how the Holy Spirit can get more of a hold of us. That's what we want to desire. So the Holy Spirit is a person. That's the first statement in our sentence. The second statement is not only is the Holy Spirit a person, but the Holy Spirit is a divine person. And I want to show you why this is so important that we realize that the Holy Spirit is divine, that he is deity, that he is a part of the Godhead. You know, the the Bible describes the God as a, a triune Godhead made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct beings that are somehow one. And I will be honest with you, I don't understand the Trinity at all. I'll just be honest with you. I don't. And my, with my pea little brain, and I've read, you know, all the different analogies, and, and some of them maybe help a little bit, but it's like, it's just, it's just, it's just bigger than, than I can, you know, fathom with my little pea brain. But I'll be honest with you, I love that. I love that, that our God is so big and so just immense. And so powerful and so wonderful that I can't fully understand him. I love that because I heard somebody say this way, that that if our God was small enough that we could figure out everything about him, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. I like that. I like that he's so big that it's like I can't figure out everything about him. So I don't understand the Trinity, but I believe it. I believe it because the Father is referred to in the Bible as God. 
Jesus is referred to in the Bible as God, and the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Bible as God. Now, some people who, you know, they don't like to, they don't believe in the Trinity, say that the word Trinity is not even the Bible. That is true. Neither is the word second coming or the word rapture. But the Bible clearly teaches over and over again that these things are true, and we clearly see the teaching that the Holy Spirit is God. So now let's consider some divine attributes that are contributed to the Holy Spirit. The first is that he's called God. And let me set the scene. In just a minute, don't do it yet, I'm going to have them put Acts chapter 5 on, on the screen in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 5, if you guys remember, you've been with us going through Acts, it was during that time when the church was really growing and people were sharing everything and they were, you know, selling, you know, property and bringing in the proceeds and giving it so they could take care of, of the, uh, you know, people that were displaced because there were always people that came to Jerusalem, got saved. They didn't want to go back to their, you know, where they had come from hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away. And they wanted to stay there and be a part of the work that God was doing. Well, um, there was this one couple that sold a piece of property. And they brought the proceeds, and they gave it to the apostles. But the problem was they didn't bring all the proceeds. Now, God didn't ask them to bring all the proceeds, but they came saying that they brought all the proceeds. So Peter confronts the husband, and this is what we see. You can put it on the screen. It says, but Peter said to Ananias, that was the husband, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Everybody say, lie to the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that, okay? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? So he's saying, look, you can do whatever you want with it. And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Now check this out. He says, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to who? God. To God. Earlier, yes, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? He ends with saying, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. So what is Peter telling us? The Holy Spirit is who? It's God. Right. Good job. Good job, class. Um, So he's not just some lesser being. He's not some like angel in the Old Testament. So first of all, he is God. Second, he is eternal. In Hebrews 9, chapter 14, he's referred to as the eternal spirit. And we read here in John 14 that Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. How long? Forever. He's eternal. The Holy Spirit is also seen in scripture as being omnipresent. Now, the word omnipresent means that he can be everywhere at one time. He can be here in Vista. He can be tonight in Indio with Jason Duff at the Garden Fellowship. He can be with our friends over in Israel or, or believers over in Hungary. He can be everywhere at once. He's, he's not regulated to being at one place at one time. He's omnipresent. Now, David in Psalm 139 asked the question, where can I go from your presence or where can I flee from your spirits? Now, that was a rhetorical question. The answer was nowhere. I can't go anywhere. Without your Holy Spirit being there. 
That's what David was telling. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere that we can run to. The Holy Spirit is also omnipotent. Now, there's a word that means all-powerful. Omnipotent, omnipotent. That means that he can do anything. That's why, again, Genesis chapter 1, we see him as being a part of creation, hovering over the waters. In Job 33, 4, Job declared, the Spirit of God has made me. It's a part of a, a, the creation of, of, of humanity, the Spirit of God moving and working in creation. The Holy Spirit was the one who came and divinely impregnated Mary to bring forth the Messiah. Now, guys, that's never happened before, and it hasn't happened since. That, that's powerful, Okay. It was in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It says, And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. It's the Holy Spirit, we're told in Romans 8, 11, that brought Jesus out of the grave. Paul put it this way, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised him from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see the Holy Spirit is God, he's eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's, he's omnipresent. Now, why is this important for us to understand? Does it really matter? It does. And here's why. If you don't understand who he is who is living inside of you, you are going to be less likely to look to him and to listen to him and to rely upon him. Guys, this is mind-boggling when you think about God has placed his spirit, the spirit that was involved in creation, the spirit that brought Jesus Christ from the grave is living inside of you. Yeah, glory. Like, boom. I mean, that's that's like radical to think about. Of all the places in the universe for the Holy Spirit to want to hang out, he wants to hang out inside of you. I love that. So the spirit of the living God is dwelling inside of your life. And I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, of believers living in the last days. And he said this, that he described them this way, that they would be those who would have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. A form of godliness, but lacking the power. And I think many Christians try to live the Christian life and live the Christian walk in their own strength because they are clueless of the reality that God's Spirit is living inside of them. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The third statement that ties this sentence all together then is the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. And I want you to notice here that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. The word helper, some of you know this term, it's parakletos. Um, we, you've maybe heard of the term the paraclete, not the parakeet, but the paraclete. And it's taken from this word parakletos, which is translated comforter or helper. And that's what Jesus said. I'm going to send you the 
comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. It literally means this. I love this description. One called alongside to help you. Isn't that beautiful? One called alongside to help you. And I think about when I had my had two hip replacements. When I was first learning to walk again, that my wife would walk along next to me, walk alongside of me. How many times have you seen a little kid that falls down and you pick him up and you're, you're, you're coming alongside? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he's seeking to do in our lives on a daily basis, to come alongside and help us. You know, I've been walking with Jesus now. This kind of blew my mind when I was thinking about it. For 50 years. 50 years walking with Jesus. And I tell you this. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more aware I am of his help. Now I've grown. There's been some transformation. God's been working on me. But there's so much more work that he needs to do. I need his help on a daily basis. Jesus said, I love this. I haven't left you orphans. Isn't that awesome? I mean, aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't say, like, Kaylee, I died on the cross. I rose again from the dead. I did my part. The rest is up to you. I hope you make it, you know. No, he's like, I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm not birthing you and just leaving you to, to, to yourself. No, he goes, I'm going to come alongside of you. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. A guy by the name of Tim Downs said this, Watches, cars, and Christians can all look chromed and shiny. But watches don't tick, and cars don't go, and Christians don't make a difference without insides. And the inside of us is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So can I encourage you when you wake up tomorrow is to realize you have a helper. You have a helper for today. Maybe you don't have a lot of friends. You have a helper who's better than any of them. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I want you to catch something that Jesus says here that I think is really cool and easy to miss. Look at verse 16 again, chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, you guys know that in the Greek language, you know, their, their, their language is so much more expansive than, than ours. They, we, we have one word for everything. You know, we say, I love my wife, and I love my dog, and I love pizza, and it's all the same word, and hopefully there's a distinction between the wife, the dog, and the pizza, right? But we have one word. They, they have four words for the word love, and each one has a different meaning that relates to a different part of our lives. Well, here, they, they have two words for the word another, and the, there's one word, it's the word heteros, that means another of a completely different kind, okay? So, Jesus says, I'm gonna, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Heteros would mean another of a completely different kind. 
But there's also the word alos, and that means another of the same kind. Which word do you think Jesus used? Heteros or alos? Alos. Another of the same kind. In other words, I'm going I'm to I'm send you a helper just like me. In fact, I think that's what Jesus means in verse 18 when he says, I will not leave you orphans. Now check this out. He says what? I will come to you. That's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. He doesn't say, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send some, I'm going to send an assistant. I'm going to send somebody, you know, to come and help. He says, no, I will come to you just in a different way. I'm going to come to you by my spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I leave. It's to your advantage. Because Jesus could only be with them one place at one time. If some of the disciples were in Galilee and the others were in Jerusalem, he had to pick who he was going to be with. But now he can be with all of us. Wherever we are, that that when you go out and go to your home tonight, he goes with you. He's with all of us. Think of this. The Holy Spirit is to you as good of a helper as Jesus was to the apostles. How's that for help? Isn't that beautiful to think about? Something else about this, we have a permanent helper. He's not going anywhere. Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you for 10 years. That's all you get. No, that's not what he said, right? For 20 years, no. He doesn't say for two decades, that's all you get. You know, or till you get old and crusty and gnarly, you know, then I'm done. No, he says, I'm going to abide with you forever, forever. He's a permanent helper. He's going to be in you until the work gets done. And then you're going to be in glory. Something else, he's a reliable helper. Look at verse 17. He's called the spirit of truth. He cannot lie. He never leads you to lie. So here's one of the ways that you can tell that somebody is, is really filled with the spirit. I don't know if you ever thought about this way, is that they tell the truth. He's the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is living inside of them. And so they're becoming more holy because he is holy. Think about this. He's not called the loving spirit. He's not called the gracious spirit, even though he is loving and he is gracious, but he's called the Holy Spirit. That is one of his primary attributes, and he's seeking to make you and I more holy, to transform us into the image of Christ. It was God who said, be holy as I am holy. So he's seeking to do that work in us, and we're going to talk more about that work that he seeks to do in our lives in the coming weeks. But he's our helper. He's a permanent helper. He's a reliable helper. But also note this, he's an exclusive helper. Because we see in verse 17, he says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Isn't it interesting when unsaved people will say to you something like this? Well, if I can't see it, I won't believe it. If I can, can, only if I can see it, then I'll believe it. And that's really not true. That's just an excuse, right? That's just their way of saying, I'm not going to believe. But Jesus said, 
that they can't receive it because the Holy Spirit isn't in them. You know, Paul the Apostle, he, he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, you know, the things of God are, are foolish to the natural man, to the unsaved man. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. So the way that you discern spiritual things is to become spiritually alive. And that's what happens when you become born again. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and brings to life your dead spirit so that now you are living in a relationship with God and suddenly the things of God become real to you. Suddenly the the word of God becomes alive to you and you just can't get enough of it. Have Have you discovered this about eating spiritually, getting into the word of God? It's the complete opposite of eating physically. You know, you eat physically. Some of you had this experience at Christmas time, Christmas dinner, or Thanksgiving dinner. When you were finally done, after three hours of sinning and gluttony, (laughs) and you pushed yourself away from the table and rolled over to the couch, you said, I'm never going to eat again. And then two hours later, somebody says, time for the dessert. And you're like, all right. But physically, we eat, we get full. Spiritually, you eat, you get more hungry. You just get more hungry. That's the Holy Spirit working inside of you. It's like your spirit is just, just longs for more and more nourishment. So he's doing that work. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with tonight before we get into our groups. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you every single day. Every single day. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, we're told this. And and because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And this is what he's doing every day. He's crying out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is daddy. So it's, it's a cry of intimacy. In the Hebrew culture, a little kid out in public would not call their dad Abba, daddy. They'd call him father. They'd call him sir. Very, very proper. It's only when they'd be at home. That little boy, little girl climbs up on his lap and throws on daddy. Daddy, will you play with me? Daddy, will you, will you hold me? And every single day, I want you just to grab a hold this time. Every single day of the Holy Spirit, you wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit is inside you going, Daddy, it's a cry of intimacy. In other words, it's a longing of intimacy. The Holy Spirit in your heart is seeking to pull you into an intimate relationship with God. That's why you you get this sense, you know, I should pick up my Bible today before I run off to work. It's not because I told you to do that or some other pastor told you that or you read that in some book somewhere that you should start your day with the Lord. It's bigger than that. It's God's Holy Spirit inside of you trying to draw you in to intimacy with God. That's one of the biggest ways that he tries to help us on a daily basis is he's seeking to pull us toward our heavenly father, toward our daddy. So tonight, the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us.
Amen? Father, I thank you for the reality, the beauty that we are seeing here tonight that you have given us your spirit. That one of the primary ways that we live in relationship with you, in fellowship with you, is as we interact with your spirit inside of us. Lord, I pray tonight that you would bless our discussions in our circle groups. And we just give you, Lord, the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.